Amen. You may be seated. He is worthy to be praised with our every thought and deed because of his grace. Turn to Romans chapter 11. We've been looking at uh, this section between chapter 9 and 11 and Paul expressing his burden for his Jewish brethren and then uh, showing why that only a remnant of them believed because of God's glorious sovereignty and election and because of their own willful rejection and rebellion and unbelief. There was only a remnant, which is a remnant preserved, chosen by grace that was saved. And how did the Gentiles come into the picture? And we've begun to talk about that as well more, and we're digging into it um, in chapter 11. In that first section that we've looked at in verses 1 to 10 in chapter 11, we saw that Israel's rejection was not total. There was a remnant chosen by grace, although it was deserved for it to be total. None of them were good apart from grace. And then here, beginning in verse 11, we're looking into this section that shows us that Israel's rejection is not final. It's not total and it's not final. God's at work through the Jews in the lives of the Gentiles and through the Gentiles in the lives of the Jews. And we're going to see how he wraps all that together so that we end chapter 11 with a note of glorious praise. But I'm going to read from uh, verse 11. After talking about God's hardening on their rebellion, we're going to pick it up in verse 11 and read through verse 24 in chapter 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they may fall, think permanently, by no means, rather, through their trespass, the Israelites, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make, look, it has a purpose, to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles in as much as, and as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, think Gentile world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits as is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. Note the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even... And even they, 
Jews, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what by nature is a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in to their own olive tree? Thus far, God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for this revelation. You've given us a glorious peek behind the curtain of your sovereign will and what you're doing in the world, saving a people from the Jews and from the Gentiles, one new man, one new people in Christ Jesus who will dwell with you in eternity in the new heavens, new earth. So we pray that you do that today as your word goes forth, that you would convert some people, that you would bring them to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would plant in gospel seeds in other hearts, Lord, that you would bring back souls from rebellion against you, that you would heal backsliding, that you would nurture faith and grow us in our faith, those of us who are trusting you and yet just feeling weak and maybe confused or needy, whatever that that need is, we pray that your spirit would take your word and apply it to each individual heart. So help me to preach your word as your word with reverence and accuracy and truth and help us to hear it as your word, truly seeking to understand it and live in its light. Lord, bless the preaching and the hearing of your word May your spirit work mightily. May you, Lord, speak to your people as your word is preached. It's in the holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, as you know, today is Lord's Supper. Today we celebrate communion. But we're celebrating death. We are celebrating, we are actually celebrating someone's death we're celebrating jesus's death why in the world would we celebrate anyone's death it it probably sounds a little morbid to you if you don't understand the gospel but if you know that christ's death is what atones for your sins And makes those who trust Him right with God, forgiven and made holy. Then you see that celebration is important. Remembrance. Communion. Feeding upon Christ in our hearts by faith. Upon His death. His body broken and His blood shed. And rejoicing in the grace of God that our penalty has been paid. That His righteousness has been credited to us. That we have been justified or declared righteous by God. See, this this is a great text for Communion Sunday. We're going to talk about first fruits. Probably not as much as you want to. We'll be coming back to these text as we work through the rest of this section. But we're going to talk about first fruits. We're going to talk about the root and the root that makes all of God's people holy. Truly holy. Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're beginning a section on the olive tree. 
And this is just the first message on this section. And we'll see how many more we have. We'll see if we can cover it in one more or, or two more. But today, being communion, uh, just looking at verses 16 and 17, entitled this, Holy Root and Holy Branches. We have one holy tree in this text. So the main point, just sort of a point of application to you, is if you are connected to God's holy root, then you are holy in His sight. If you are connected to God's holy root, then you are holy in His sight. And we'll talk more about what that means. But first, look at the holy root of the olive tree. And a little bit of background here. Uh, there's some Old Testament symbols of Israel that we can think about. Number one, there's the vine. Remember the vine. And we've, we hear Jesus talking about the vine and the branches. Unless you abide in me, you, you, you will bear no fruit. Right? So there's a picture there of the vine that finds its fulfillment in Christ. But Psalm 80, uh, and I won't go very deep into each one of these, except for the olive tree, hopefully. Psalm 80, verses 8 and 9. You you brought a vine out of Egypt. Picturesque language, speaking of God bringing Israel out of Egypt, right? You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took deep root and filled the land. So there in that text and there are other, you see Israel spoken of as a vine. And we see when Jesus talks about that, he is the vine. And we, by faith, are in union with him or connected to him. We are the branches. And that kind of helps us with the picture of the olive tree. There's also the fig tree. We talked a little bit about that. But Joel 1, 6 and 7 says this, For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness, and it has laid waste to my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down, and their branches are made white. Joel, thinking about what's happened in Israel's exile from uh, his punished their their defeat by their enemies because of God's punishment upon them and their exile from the land. But he's talking about judgment there on the fig tree. To mention the vine and the fig tree in that text. So in the Old Testament, you find Israel pictured as a fig tree, and you also find Israel pictured as an olive tree, which is the 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 symbol or the picture the picture the illustration, however you wanted the type. However you want to say that, that Paul is bringing forward in Romans chapter 11. But Jeremiah eleven sixteen, the Lord once called you a green olive tree, beautiful with good fruit, but with the roar of a great tempest, he will set fire to it. That's judgment language there because of their sin. And its branches will be consumed. The fruitless branches, the, the, the withered and dried up branches, the diseased branches will be trimmed off and consumed. So this is the figure that Paul is bringing forth in chapter 11. This is the figure of, as we'll see, true Israel. 
This is the figure of those who by faith are grafted in to this rich olive tree. So we have, we have that as kind of background. Look back in verse 16, if you will, of chapter 11. If the dough... So remember, we're talking about Israel's rejection is not final. It's not full and it's not final. And, and there's God's at work in them to make them jealous with the Gentiles. So there's coming a time when that jealousy is going to pay off and they will return. And we talked about that last week, so I'll point you back. And then he brings forth... Uh, a couple of illustrations that he's going to expand on as we move forward. But he says in verse 16, If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And then connecting that, really saying the same thing with this second analogy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Just like a tree, if the root the roots and the trunk is is healthy, then the branches are going to be healthy and fruitful. But if the root is diseased and dead, the whole, the whole tree is going to be dead. But just think quickly about that first one there. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so also the whole lump. I'm going to give you homework. If you do homework, if you're taking notes, you can go back and read this later. I'm not going to read it this morning. But here we first talk about first fruits. And you can go back and see what Paul's alluding to in Numbers 15, 17 to 21. But the first of the dough or the first fruit of the dough, which was which comes from the harvest that God had blessed them with. The first fruit of that dough was set apart as holy. It was dedicated to God and it was offered to God. So the Israelites would offer God the first fruit of their grain as holy, and after which they regarded all the harvest of that season as holy. Therefore, it is set apart to God. God gave it. They honored Him with it according to His command, knowing then they would be blessed. Right? So if the lump, the lump offered is holy, the whole part is holy. So Paul's arguing that if part of the dough offered as first fruit was holy, then the entire batch of dough was holy or set apart. The sacrifice of the, the, sacrifice of the first fruit, the sacrifice of the first portion, sanctified the entire harvest, the entire portion. Paul's using that as a picture of what he's talking about here. So just to ask you, what is the first fruit pictured here? Better, who is the first fruits pictured here? And this is another one of those places where if you go read commentaries, you get all kinds of answers. Is it the first converts among the Jews? Is it the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I won't take you through all the answers. And yes, while they are the beginnings of Israel, having received God's covenant. Notice this is this is a first fruits that is making the whole lump holy. This this thing has to be effective, whatever this is, to make the whole lump holy, picturing picturing God's people in this text. So I think we have to look deeper. 
We have to look to a truly sanctifying first fruits offering to find that first fruits that sanctifies the people. And if you read your, your New Testament, what you're going to find is that there are more than one place where Christ is referred to as the first fruits. The, the portion dedicated to, sacrificed to, given to God for a purpose. Just one example, 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So the, the picture there is if just as Christ was, and he goes on to explain in chapter 15, just as Christ was raised from the dead, so too will all be in, all in Christ be raised from the dead. Christ is the fulfillment. All of the types and shadows and pictures of the old covenant point to and are fulfilled in him. So the true and greater First fruits, that portion that has been sacrificed, that sanctifies the entire lump, making it true Israel, making it holy, <clears throat> is Christ Jesus. And we'll see as we talk about root and branches in a minute. But think about that. That was God's purpose. To sacrifice the first fruits to make the whole batch holy. To sacrifice His Son. That we might be made holy. Reconciled to him. Forgiven and clothed in his righteous. To be truly righteous in his sight. How can that happen? How can a sinner like me, a Gentile, who was truly part of a wild olive tree, be reconciled to a holy God? Because Christ was sacrificed. Christ died for our sins, the Scripture says. He was buried and He was raised the third day, proving it's all true. That those who trust in Him will be forgiven of their sins and reckoned as righteous because His righteousness will be imputed to them, given to them as a gift. God loved the world in this way that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes into Him, whosoever trusts Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Are you part of the whole that has been made holy? I don't know, you say. Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ alone? That's how you know. Is your faith in yourself clothed in a thousand different ways? I'm going to going to be good enough. God will grade on the curb. If my good works outweigh my bad works, He will accept me and consider me as holy. No. If, you're good work, if you have bad works, any bad works, you are unholy. You deserve rejection and condemnation. I've used the illustration before, but if I give you a glass of water, and it's pure water, and I put one drop of cyanide in it, will you drink it? Why? No, it's polluted. It's corrupted. It's poison. Same thing. One evil deed corrupts a whole life. And listen, the truth of the matter is we don't just have one evil deed. Isaiah tells us all our righteous attempts are filthy rags. 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All need a Savior, and that Savior, that first fruits that we're looking for, is Jesus. If you will hope in Him, you will be forgiven for all of your sins, and you will be counted as righteous in His sight. You will be made a child of God as a free gift. Remember, justification, go back to chapter 3, is a free gift through the propitiation in Christ Jesus. You will either receive salvation as a free gift or you won't have it. It's grace. It's undeserved favor. It's a gift to you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, that will require repentance because if you're not a Christian, you're not believing in Christ and you're going your own way. So you will have to have a change in the direction of your soul that results in a change of life, first of which is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you trusting in Christ this morning? I call you to trust in Christ. That sounds... I shouldn't even have to do that. Please find hope as a free gift in Jesus. Free gift to you is eternal life. The only thing that will cause you not to receive that is a stubborn, sinful heart. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Made holy like the whole lump. Secondly, look, the branches. We've got to move. Saying the same thing. And if the root is holy so also are the branches. If the root is holy, so also are all the branches. We're talking about a holy tree here. We're not talking about a mostly holy tree. A partially holy tree. We're talking about a holy tree. Think about it, and I've already said this. If the roots of a tree are in good soil and well watered, they deliver life-giving sap through the trunk to the branches, which produce fruit by being connected to the trunk and the root. Kind of like the vine in John. Christ is the vine, we are the branches. And in order to be fruit-bearing, we have to be connected to that vine. See, Paul is drawing the analogy here. If the root is holy, everything it produces is holy. If the root is holy, the branches are holy. What makes the branches holy is the root. So this root we're talking about has to have the power to make the branches truly holy. This is not an external holiness that we're talking about. This is true holiness that comes through faith union with Christ. And you can see that down in verse 20 where it says, and we'll talk about this later, they were broken off. The unbelieving Jews were broken off because of unbelief. You stand fast through faith. So what connects these branches to the trunk, to the root, is faith. So we're talking about a true and vital connection here not something that's external and type and picturesque not a mere external covenant holiness here this is real holiness so what do we mean by holiness that sound if we if we grew up in the south uh and we grew up around church or in church 
Holiness might be a weird word to us because a lot of the people that claim to be holy were really strange. Just being honest with you, I grew up watching people jump off pews and stuff. We would climb up the fence and watch over the fence into this holiness church where people are running around like they've lost their mind and jumping off pews and doing all sorts of things that made no sense. So that scared me. Me and Terry and I looked at one another and said, he ain't never going in there. Because something weird is going on in there. But strictly speaking, holiness just means clean. <clears throat> clean, cleansed. It's, where it's used in two general senses, consecrated and pure. Devoted to God and or morally pure. Means to be purified by God, made morally pure, set apart for His service. Made, He's made His people holy by Christ, by grace. Yes, by Christ and by grace. What are believers called in the New Testament? All believers. Saints, which means holy ones. I don't feel holy. I get it. I don't always feel holy either. But because of this connection with the root, the branches are made holy. There are no unbelieving branches in this tree. They've been lopped off. Every branch in this tree is a believing branch. And therefore, by the root, is made holy. Set apart to God's service. You can see that we're talking about those in faith union. We're talking about true Israel. Here's an example, Isaiah. Think about Isaiah in chapter 6. He's in God's holy presence and he's scared. You know why? Because the presence of God is a dangerous place for a sinner to be. And sometimes we see that result in strict judgment. Like Nadab and Abihu, who offered strange fire, and they were immediately judged. But for Isaiah, God's holiness didn't destroy him. It purified him. It transformed him. Look at Isaiah 6, 7. And, and you know the scene. And he's seen the Lord high and lifted up. And uh, in southern lingo, he's freaking out a little bit. Right? And he's realizing how sinful he is because he's seeing the holiness of the Lord. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. And lips there picturing what comes out of the heart. Right? I have an impure heart. So this is scaring me. I don't know what to do with this, but just confess that I have an impure heart here. And then the angel this takes this coal Right? Representing Christ. Fire from the altar. This purifying work of grace. And look what it says. He touched my mouth with, with that coal from the altar and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Watch this. What's the result? Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. If you're trusting in Christ, that's what happened to you. Your guilt, and you have plenty. 
was imputed to Christ. And He paid the penalty for it. So that your sin was atoned for. Look at that again. What does it mean to be made holy by God? It means your guilt to be taken away. The stains to be removed. Cleansed. Having your sin atoned for. Purification. Producing devotion. You know, later, what did Isaiah say? After he was all convicted, he's cleansed. He's like, oh, I need to tell other people about this. Here, you want to send somebody? Send me. Because now my mouth wants to talk about this. That's the type of real holiness. I'm not saying there was never an external covenantal holiness. I'm not saying that. But I'm talking about the holiness we're talking about here in Romans chapter 11 is real holiness that is a result of faith union with the Messiah, pictured by the olive tree, God's people being pictured in that tree. True Israel is made up of a holy tree with believing branches. So who is that? What is that true and greater root pictured here? We look back to and we look through. Yes, we do look back through. We look back through to and through the fathers and back through God's covenant promises. The root of the olive tree that makes the whole tree holy. That reaches down into the soil of God's covenant promises and delivers that sap to the branches that are in union with the trunk. That root is Jesus. See, he's the true and greater root. He's the one pictured and typified and pointed to. The one who can really make the tree holy. The one who would be sacrificed to make the tree holy. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob couldn't make anybody holy. They had to be made holy. But they're not the root. And as we see, and there are more than one place, but I'll give you one because it's in the book of, of um, Romans and it talks about the Gentiles hoping in this Jewish Messiah. Romans fifteen twelve says, again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles and in him all the Gentiles. See, this second illustration is one Paul will build on in the following verses. The root and the branches. And the nature of the branches is determined by the nature of the root from which they grow. And we're being told here that that root is holy. So these branches are holy. So there's one source of true holiness, and that is Jesus. And listen to me. All that are in him are holy in God's sight. So our position before God is holy if we're on that tree. We're going to see there are no unbelieving branches on the tree. We'll talk about that next week. But those who by faith are in union with Christ are grafted into Him. Look at verse 17 quickly. I know I said 18, but we'll, we'll... get that in which starts talking about arrogance we'll talk about that next week but if some branches were broken off why were they broken off verse 20 because of unbelief 
And you, although a wild olive shoot or a Gentile, were grafted in among the others and now share in that nourishing root of the olive tree, that nourishing root of God's covenantal grace in Christ Jesus. See, that's the point. The root is holy, and so now the branches are holy. Every branch in this olive tree is holy, truly holy, cleansed and consecrated. Israel is pictured by the olive tree, and the olive tree is a metaphor for the relationship between Christ and His church. And just like all healthy branches are in vital union with the trunk of a healthy olive tree, so too all true members of Christ's church, true Israel, are in vital union with Christ and are made holy by Him. We are united to Christ by a faith. We saw this in chapter 6, united to His death, burial, and resurrection. Our old person was crucified with Him. We have died with Him and been raised to newness of life. We're in faith union, and faith is the link. Therefore, the unbelieving branches were broken off, just like a dead, dead limbs off a tree, healthy tree, are trimmed off. But don't miss the point. We're going to talk more about this. Being a branch in this olive tree means being in vital faith union with Christ. There are no unbelieving branches. And believing Gentiles are grafted into the one tree, the one people of God, the one true Israel. I mean, that was so controversial for the Jews at that time. And it's so controversial for some in the church now. That there is one people of God, one new man, made up of Jew and Gentile, in Christ Jesus. Gentiles being grafted in, not a new and different body, but grafted into that same body, that one olive tree, that true Israel. Ephesians 3, 6. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Wow. And read chapter 2. I don't have time to go into it. Compare verse 11, I think, with verse 19, and you'll see. Once alienated from Israel, now fellow citizens. All that, all that talk. But it, the mystery, and the mystery, when we're talking about mystery here, this is not something that's esoteric. And this is something that had to be revealed to be understood. It wasn't as clearly revealed in the Old Testament as it is now in Christ. And he says, the mystery is this, that Gentiles are fellow heirs with the Jews, Members of the same body, the olive tree, Israel. Partakers of the same promise and covenant in Christ, Messiah, Jesus through the gospel. And all, don't miss the figure, all are holy. If you're in Him, you are holy. And that's the mystery, isn't it? That my record before God and His judgment bar in heaven is perfect holiness. Because my record is Christ's record. That I am seated, Ephesians 2, with Christ in the heavenly places. That I am a child of God based on nothing I have done and everything that Jesus has done. And so, in God's eyes and in God's sight and in God's courtroom and before God's throne, I am perfectly and completely holy. My record reads, complete and perfect obedience. And so does yours if you're trusting in Jesus. That's your justification. 
Now, the life of sanctification or growth in grace. We are being transformed by the Spirit through the Word into what we already are before the judgment bar of God. We're being made, by His grace, we're being made more and more like Jesus. So that's why I wanted to start you off this morning with who you are in Christ. We have to own our identity in Christ. And we have to be rested in His grace so that we don't try to live as legalists here, making ourselves holy so He will accept us. We are being made more holy in our practice by Him. We're being delivered progressively from the power of sin because we've already been delivered from the penalty and credited as righteous. But listen, in verse 16, if the root is holy, so are the branches. You are holy and you are beloved before the throne of God if you are trusting in Christ. Look at Colossians 3.12. Put on then... As, this is what his children are, as God's chosen ones, and you could think who are right here. So this this first part is not telling us what to strive to be. This is telling us who we are. We're God's chosen ones who are holy and beloved. Based on the fact that you are God's chosen one who has been redeemed and reconciled to God so that you are now holy and beloved. Based on that fact, now put to death everything that's earthly. And now be compassionate. Be like Christ. Know who you... See, you can't be who you're supposed to be if you don't know who you are. First comes owning your identity, knowing who you are, knowing that you are in Christ because of Christ, holy. Just like Isaiah, cleansed from sin and clothed in Christ's righteousness. Put on then as God's holy ones, God's chosen ones who are holy and beloved. Listen to me. If you're trusting in Christ this morning, you are holy and beloved. That's just another description of being a child of God. See, that's why death has no fear for you. You don't have to look and say, have I been good enough? You haven't, but He has. He's been good enough for you. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord, even because even at the day and time when you go absent from the body, you don't deserve it. But He has earned it for you. You've got to be rested in His grace. And this is the one thing I wanted to hammer home this morning. Do you, as a believer, own your identity that you are holy and beloved by God? If you don't, you don't understand the gospel. You're still trying to earn it. You're still looking to yourself and your own performance to see if it's true. And I'm telling you, the person you look to and the performance you look to is Jesus and His performance to know that you're holy. Because it's the root that make the branches holy. Not the branches that make the branches holy. The branches don't connect themselves to the tree. God's sovereignty pictured here. Apart from works pictured here. God is the one creating faith and grafting into this tree. And as the gospel is preached to you, He will make that gospel meaningful to you such that you will be convicted of your sin and you will turn and trust in Jesus And you will grow in knowing who you are and therefore grow in being more like who He is. Look at me, Christian. If you're trusting in Jesus this morning, you are holy and beloved 
by God. I don't care if you believe it. I mean, I do. But the, because if, as soon as you look to yourself, you're going to start doubting it. Just like when Peter looked at the water and the waves, he started sinking. As long as his eyes were on Christ, he was trucking on top. Everything in this world militates against you knowing who you are. The world does it. The flesh does it. And certainly the devil does it. I don't believe in the devil. Well, you're in huge trouble. Huge trouble. He's got you. But look at this, who you are. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are God's chosen one who is holy and beloved. Therefore, put on Christ's likeness. Be so heavenly minded that you're being transformed into the image of Christ. It's foolish to say that a person is so heavenly minded they're on no earthly good. That's a misunderstanding. Look at Colossians 3. The first thing it tells us to do is be heavenly minded. And in that way put to death everything that is earthly. You are God's chosen one. You are holy and beloved. You say, well, I'm not trusting in Jesus. Then you're not holy and beloved. But you know what? It's a free gift. Why don't you receive it? In fact, God commands you to receive it. He's not playing. This may be, this may be your last day. How about those bunches of people on that train? Where was it? India. Who got on that train to go somewhere. And that was it. Hundreds of them died because of a bad signal. A train collision. Don't count on tomorrow. Repent today. Turn and trust in Christ today. Look what Hebrews 10.14 says about Christ and about this root making His people holy. Hebrews 10.14 says, For by a single offering He has perfected for all time. He has made holy for all time those who are being sanctified by Him. See, we are being transformed into what we are, but before His throne, being having faith in Jesus, we are united to Him, made children of God, cleansed from all sin and accepted as righteous on the basis of His righteousness. If we're trusting in Christ by His offering, we've been perfected forever. Is that how you see yourself? If you're not reading the Bible, that's not how you see yourself. Not without presumption. You, you've got to have the Word in you to follow Christ. I don't, want to talk, I don't want to listen to you, Jesus. I just want you to take me to heaven. No, no, no. I'm good. Don't talk to me. I just want to go. That's not how this works. And listen, Jesus doesn't talk to you apart from this book. You can get mad about that if you want to. Jesus prayed, sanctify them by their feelings. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. And this truth tells me that God's children are beloved, are holy. Because Christ, the root, has made them so. So there's one root and source of life and holiness, and there are many branches to, connected to that root. Some are Jews and some are Gentiles, and we're going to dig into that more as we move forward. But this morning, I just wanted to emphasize the effectiveness 
of what was pictured by that dough and that first fruits and by that root and the branches. It finds its fulfillment in the true and greater lump. The true and greater root. The one true Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says. No one it comes to the Father. Why? No one is made holy except by me. There's one Savior, Jesus Christ. There's one salvation. There's one source of holiness for sinners. He is holy. Do you know Him? How do I know? Are you trusting Him? Number two. There's one holy tree filled with holy branches. One people of God, Jew and Gentile. One true Israel. And look at me. They are all holy. Made holy by Him in His grace and His sacrifice. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ, you are holy. You say, I hear you. You've said that a lot. I'll say it a lot more. Because repetition is one of the laws of learning. And maybe if you're getting tired of hearing it, you're starting to get it and not just stiff-arming it. But you really need to dig into what that means and own who you are in Christ. But this is what we're celebrating today in the supper. As we take this, this broken bread and this wine or juice, depending on which. And we see that Passover meal that Passover lamb was sacrificed and the blood was put on the doorpost and the angel of death passed over and the people consumed that sacrifice. They fed on that lamb and Christ said, this is me. This cup is really the blood of the covenant. My blood that will be shed. My death on your behalf. My body broken for you. I paid your penalty. I am the true and greater Passover lamb. That's what we're celebrating. The true and greater Passover lamb who paid the penalty for our sins and was raised, proven it's all true, is reigning now in heaven and is coming again someday. The glorious fact that we have been made holy by the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our first fruits and our root into God's glorious grace to live as christ let's pray lord help us to own the glorious truth of the gospel lord jesus that you are our righteousness our salvation our redemption that we are freely forgiven because you have lived for us died for us been raised for us. You're coming again someday. You have begun a good work in us and you'll finish that good work. And someday when you return, we will be like you. Not just in position before your throne, but in our being glorified, holy as you are holy. Bless us today. I pray for those who are not trusting you this morning maybe listening to the recording or watching over the live stream or maybe even in this building. Maybe they're flat out rejecting you. And they've heard the gospel and they've understood it and rejected it. Maybe they don't understand. 
I pray that this would be the first day they understand and repent. I I pray at least they will grasp the fact that they cannot save themselves. They have not kept your law in thought, word, and deed. Therefore, they are sinful and needing a Savior, which is true of all of us. I pray for those of us who do know you to be refreshed and renewed and strengthened by the truth of your gospel, both preached in this word and then celebrated in the supper, that though we have lived against you and and are sinners who deserve your wrath, you sent your Son to live for us, to fulfill all righteousness, to glorify you, the Father, and then to take our guilt and pay the penalty, dying as the God-man on the cross, taking our hell upon himself that we might have your heaven, your new heavens and your new earth, your forgiveness and righteousness as a free gift. So strengthen the faith of believers as we commune with you through the supper. And maybe I pray even convert sinners through this gospel this morning. But we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you, have been sacrificed to make us holy so that we could be accepted in you, made children of God, be transformed into your image, have eternal life and have an eternal hope. We praise you this morning. We pray that you'd be at work in us by your grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.